and welcome to this month's episode of the Distance Learning Roundtable Show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. I'm Hope Katz-Gibbs, proud producer of the show where experts gather to discuss the future of online education. Where experts gather to discuss the future of online education. It is an honor to introduce you to the show's hosts, Pat Casella. He is the Executive Director of the U.S. Distance Learning Association. And Dean Hoke is the Managing Director of the international organization, Edu Alliance. You are going to love today's guest. I know I say that all the time, but truly I am in awe of this woman, Erin Bruel. She is the founder and executive director of the Freedom Writers Foundation. You can meet uh, her and Dr. Alsop, who will tell you about at Waldorf University. They are both working together to bring this work to as many people as possible. You probably know Erin from a famous movie starring Hilary Swank, and the guys will talk about that. But everyone's going to be at the U.S. Distance Learning Association National Conference in Orlando, July 17th to the 20th. Don't miss it. Go to usdla.org for details. So I am now going to throw it over to Pat to tell you more about Erin. Thank you, Hope. And thank you, Erin, for being here. Everyone, fantastic guest today. Erin Gruel is a teacher, author, and activist fighting for social justice for over two decades. Erin's students, affectionately called the Freedom Riders, came from backgrounds of poverty, gangs, and violence. Many were at risk at dropping out of school due to the school-to-prison pipeline. Under Erin's guidance, all 150 Freedom Riders graduated from high school and pursued higher education. In 1999, Erin and the Freedom Riders published their book, The Freedom Riders Diary, which detailed their unique journey from hardship to hope. The book became a number one New York Times bestseller and was adapted into a major motion picture called The Freedom Riders, starring two-time Academy Award winner Hilary Swank as Aaron. Aaron and The Freedom Riders have appeared on multiple national television shows to promote educational reform and have been featured on national public radio, numerous newspapers, and national magazines. In 2019, Aaron and the Freedom Riders were the subjects of the Emmy Award-winning PBS documentary, Freedom Riders, Stories from the Heart. Aaron also hosts the Freedom Riders podcast. In 2022, Aaron and the Freedom Riders Foundation released their latest book, Dear Freedom Rider. This book combines heartfelt letters written by the next generation of student authors, with deeply personal responses from the original Freedom Riders. Welcome, Erin. We are delighted to have you with us. It's exciting. And I'm will... with my people. I'm with my people. <laughs> you are with your people. Absolutely. And we'll go back and forth. And I'm going to turn it over to Dean for the first question. Well, Erin, first, it's a pleasure to Thank meet you. you. Finally, semi in person. And I'm going to see you down in Florida as well. But I'd like to begin, as they say at the beginning, I'd like to know a little bit about you in terms of what led you to teaching. And also, once you really got that early experience of teaching, tell me a little bit about your early experiences as a first-year teacher over at Woodrow Wilson High School in Long Beach. Let's talk about that. You know, my students always talk about Marvel characters and DC Comics having like an origin story. And I, I think our, our collective origin story was so divergent. You know, I grew up in suburbia, went to all the right public schools and played, you know, all the right sports and clubs and thought I was going to go off to become a lawyer. 
And during my, my college career in Los Angeles, we had the horrible uprising after the Rodney King verdict. And it was just a stone's throw from where I grew up. And those of us that were Angelinos, you know, smelt the, the smoke in the air and the ash and everything stopped in order to start again. And this horrible racial reckoning caused by those riots was the epicenter of what my students went through. So at that moment, I had this kind of existential crisis that I would rather stand in a classroom and be part of the solution rather than a courtroom in, in front of a judge and jury. And it was this kind of shift of, of a mindset of, of how, could I, how could I help make things a little better? And my family didn't embrace the idea that I wanted to be a teacher as, as much as I was hoping at first, just because I was going into a community that had a lot of homicides. And so that would become the origin story of my students, you know, a city under siege with gang warfare, uh, a city that had over 126 homicides in a single year following those riots and students that didn't like reading and writing and school. And that's really kind of this combustible beginning. And it's been quite a journey. Those same students that I saw at the beginning of this journey are still part of my life today. Well, let me, let me go down this path a little bit further then. It's your first year. We just had recently the riots. You are going from thinking about being a litigator, being a person that's gonna be in front of that to all of a sudden in front of a classroom of a school that may not have been exactly a top shelf sort of school. Weren't you just kind of scared to death? Did you feel like you were out of your element? I, I was out of my element and out of my comfort zone, but I actually requested the school that I, I, I taught at, Wilson High School. And, you know, I've, I've been blessed since our book came out to have been all all 50 states. So there's there's a common theme in a lot of communities when there's gentrification or, or the or areas become very urban. And, and oftentimes it can, it can feel like, you know, educational apartheid. And that was actually what was happening in this community. There was uh, a majority minority population at the high school. Most of the students were being bused in from the outer circle of this urban community. And, and they were angry, you know, angry at this school to prison pipeline angry about who is this little uh, young woman from, from suburbia. You know, I walked in my first day with polka dots and pearls and I was naive and clueless. And I just wanted to take my literary canon and bring it to life. And I, I realized my students did not embrace education. And so I had to learn to be flexible and throw out those immediate lesson plans when the syllabus came at me in the form of a paper airplane. And a, a very disgruntled student by the name of Darius asked, why do we have to read books written by dead white guys in tights? Which is very profound and provocative and truthful. At that time, I had to find stories that felt real and felt relevant. And I had to really work on creating relationships. Fascinating. Pat, over to you. Aaron, I have to say, I did some research. I always do before I go on the podcast. You know, I want to learn more about Aaron. So, you know, in 1998, you moved from being a high school teacher to a faculty position at, at CSU, California State University, Long Beach. What led you to that position? 
Okay, I know we're jumping a little bit here. Um, and tell our audience about the development of the Freedom Writers Foundation and, and that book then, the, the Freedom Writers Diary. When I got the invitation to go from being a high school educator to a college professor, it was daunting. I, I have suffered from an imposter syndrome my entire life. So that that definitely upped the ante. But myopically, I, I had been with these freedom writers from their first day of their freshman year till they graduated from high school. And this opportunity afforded itself for me to, to continue teaching. Um, teaching ultimately many of them in a, a freedom writer cohort that we created at the university. So initially I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to this university and you know, my appointment might be a year and then they're gonna kick me out. And, and when they didn't, it just made me try a little harder. And my, my thought was if there's other young and naive suburbanites who wanna throw their hat in the ring and, and become classroom teachers, how can I use my experience to be a better professor and teach them all the things that I didn't learn when I was getting my teaching credential and my master's. And so the same things that I did as a high school teacher, making things very real and relevant was what I wanted to do as a university professor. How do I make the art of education not be so scary for you know for young people when they enter this profession? And then more importantly, how do we get people to stay in this noble profession? So I'm gonna guess that you built some champions over the years from your students that you know came from high school and went on into college. Is that is that right? Oh my gosh. We we like to say that we put fun in the dysfunctional family. We are we've never cut the umbilical cord. And so the same students that I was gifted as a, a brand new teacher have become these accidental activists and and authors and and educators. And for the last few decades, it's been incredible watching not only their trajectory, but the next generation. And so as, as much as I am a champion for them, I'm honored that they are champion for our cause. Yeah, it has to be extremely rewarding to see them, you know, make the jump from high school into college. And then I'm guessing you still probably even keep in touch with many of them today. Well, they work with me. You know, we started a we started a nonprofit when they were in high school, and, and the nonprofit was just at the time. How do I get those books? How do we take this field trip? It, eventually, how do we send 150 kids who were the first in their families to graduate? How do we send them to college? So initially, it was just very myopic. I got 150 kids um, that are challenged socioeconomically, and and how do we pay it forward for them? And then it has grown. It has grown now to students and kids across the globe. But what's been very excited the last couple years is for, for our annual scholarship that we give every June is the Freedom Riders now have sons and daughters who are graduating. And to be able to give that second generation a scholarship to go to college is amazing. And now they're, it's easier. They're, they're following in the footsteps of their parents. And so they know exactly where they want to go and exactly what they want to do. And it's it's amazing seeing in just one generation how Freedom Riders have embraced education and how education has really become the equalizer in, in their homes and in our community. Incredible work, Aaron. Um, Dean, I'm going to turn it over to you for our next question. I'd like to go a little bit back to the teaching side. 
And you moved from basically a person who was thinking about becoming an attorney to a teacher, et cetera. But one of the things I've always looked at in teaching over 50 years is that it's one of the great professions. It's very awarding, rewarding, but at the same time, it's an extremely frustrating position. And I'm not so sure it's always about the teachers or the students, it may be about other things. But what I've also noticed is that during these past years, it's really becoming difficult to recruit teachers to go into elementary or particularly secondary schools and that it's difficult to get people to go into higher education to become teachers. You, above all others, I think can make a case for why somebody should go into the field of teaching. Can you do that? I would be honored to, Dean. I, I, I'm so proud to be an educator and I'm so proud of our profession. I think it is noble. I think it is just. I think it is right. I think educators are often overworked and, and sadly underpaid. But that aside, it is it is bigger than most of us. It is, it's a calling. And I think that so many of us that are literally drawn to this profession see the element of, of paying it forward and, and, and righting wrongs that we see in our society. So ironically, when I graduated, it was really difficult to, to get a job. And I, I was so honored to, to be able to serve in the community that I serve. But now the sad thing is because of political shifts and a pandemic, we are losing teachers. Um, and, and that makes me really sad because I think if they listen to that inner voice and they realize what being an educator can do for themselves psychically, for our, our community, for our country, I, I just hope that I could, could wave the flag and help re recruit teachers in this profession. I, I'm so, so proud of it. And I, I think I will be a teacher uh, till my dying days. I think it's critical. Like I said, the one part is we always have the one side where the lifespan of a teacher for many is about five, six years. And then they kind of go, go, I'm not sure about this or I'm ready to do something else. But I've noticed, particularly in the Midwest, and I'm sure it's true out in your, your part of the world, to get high school or college students to go into the teaching profession right now seems to be the one that they're looking at becoming engineers in business. And that's wonderful. But I worry about how we are trying to get or not get these type of people in there that become the educators of the world. So I'd like to be able to have you push that harder and you're also your friends harder. And we also need to get more people on TV and say, this is a great profession. Absolutely. I love that I've been blessed to travel throughout the country and and be invited to education events and and try to recruit fine folks to to throw their hat in the ring and I'm always so tickled when I meet educators who say you know I, I read the book the Freedom Myers Diary or I saw the movie and and that's why I'm a teacher which is really flattering because I I think what I tried to do both in helping the students write the book and also in, in the creation of the film is to be really earnest and honest how hard it is. I don't want to ever sugarcoat it that it's not. And I think we need to go in knowing that it is difficult, but it's so rewarding. And so, like I said, I am so proud of this profession. And I, I think there's an incredible line a Holocaust survivor once taught me. She said, in the Talmud, 
there's a line that said, whoso saves a life, saves the world entire. And I think in education, we, we are in the business of, of saving lives. We are, we are in the business of giving a voice to the voiceless. I think if, if we do our job correctly, we can teach one to teach another. And I, I think there's not a lot of professions that have that kind of ability to have such a ripple effect of, of saving and, and giving voice and, and having that ripple effect in our own homes. So when you're when you're a teacher, you you have that ripple effect, not just with the students in your in your classroom, but to those they return home to. And I think that was one of the most amazing things for me teaching in a community that that didn't respect educators was my students got to go home and and share those lessons with a parent who might have dropped out of school or someone who might have been a migrant who stopped going to school in, in elementary school or middle school or encouraged their parents that it it's the marathon, not the sprint. Like we we can go back. You can go back to school at any time and and get that high school diploma or get that GED. And so I that's what I love about our profession is that we are continually pushing pushing people forward to to make better choices. Very good. Pat? Thanks, Dean. Aaron, talking about moving people forward. Uh, recent guest of our series, Dr. Robert Allison, uh, your president of, of Waldorf University, speaks very highly of you. Um, there's a master of education with a concentration in social emotional learning that was designed in partnership with you and the Freedom Writers Foundation. Tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about the program and how did it come about? Well, I want to do a shout out to Dr. President Alsop. Uh, we in Freedom Rider World, we have given him a nickname and it is Glitter Bob. And when you think about glitter, it is all things that is fun and whimsical and theatrical. And we invited this esteemed president to join us for a Freedom Rider teacher training that we do. And, and the collective we is my amazing Freedom Riders. And I do a one-to-one -one pairing. So if an educator comes, um, they're partnered with Freedom Writers. And in this particular cohort that President Alsop went through, we had elementary school teachers, middle school, high school, college, and then a president. And we also had some administrators. So it was this beautiful um, tapestry of, of, of my profession at, at, the different, at the different levels. And it was this full immersion. You know, we, dove into the deep end and Freedom Myers fell in love with him and thought, oh my God, this is, you know, this is so amazing that the president of a university is still fun and still provocative and, and is going to return to his university and, and take some of the lessons that we had cultivated in room 203 and, and through our journey. Initially, there was this talk, like, how, how do we do a deeper dive? How do we take this partnership Waldorf is located in Iowa. We are here in Long Beach, California. And so initially it was the good old fashioned visits. You know, I would get on a plane and, and I would fly to him and he and his colleagues would fly to California. And we realized, you know, we want to do more. And when the pandemic happened, it was so organic. You know, what we realized in, intuitively is kids, kids and teachers are hurting. And, and being in a box on a Zoom, in someone's living room in their pajamas is, is a weird and yet wonderful way to learn. So how do we learn from the situation that education that we know is never going to be the same 
So we've got to embrace technology and, and we've got to look at things a little differently. And what we intuitively sense that came to fruition is that the kids were going to be more depressed than ever, that there might be a lot more anxiety because of the pandemic. There might be sadly suicide ideation. The idea of looking at social emotional learning from, from the ground up became this beautiful idea that was kind of manifested from the fine folks at Waldorf and our initial guinea pigs um, were the Freedom Writers. We, we cast a net and we wanted to create a social emotional curriculum that undergraduates could, could also take as well as graduate students in the teaching profession. And so I put out the net and the call and said to any Freedom Writers, if you're some units shy of graduating with your undergraduate degree, or if you'd like to start a master's program, we're gonna create classes from scratch and we want your inputs and we want your buy-in because you are going to be the face of all of these different themes. And the themes are resilience and, and perseverance and, and hope. And so when the Freedom Irish said, pick me coach, I, 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 wanna, I wanna be the, a part of this. What was incredible is we were able to go backwards to go forwards. And Narada, whose story is prominently featured in the Freedom Riders Diary, and also one of the most beautiful moments in the feature film about a young boy who is homeless and, and the trials and tribulations and the shame and the secrets kids carry around when they are homeless. Narada was the face of resilience. Um, Tony was the face of hope. So we were able to create this incredible curriculum that was real and, and relevant to not only teachers, but to young folks to say, I understand that story. And we're putting a face and a name and anecdotes around struggle. And, and that pain ultimately can be a purpose. And that pain can ultimately be one's passion. And I've often said, my original freedom writers are wounded healers. And they were the wounded healers volunteering for this incredible curriculum that we created in the hopes that teachers could learn from our journey. And it has been amazing to be able to, to create curriculum, to, to vet it on my students who have the best BS detector and, and to feel really proud of what we're putting out in the world where really courageous conversations can be had about social emotional learning. Truly amazing. You know, as we met before we kicked off the session today, we started talking about AI. How has AI found its way into this actual program? Has or has it yet? As an English teacher, someone who loves writing, I, I'm in the epicenter in Los Angeles of, of the, the writer strike um, in, in the film industry. And I show solidarity with my, my, my fellow writers and, and teachers because I, I feel that AI will never replace someone sitting down with a pen or a, a computer, a journal or a keypad and, and telling a story. And so I'm, I'm fearful of AI trying to replace the art of writing and storytelling and books and as a teacher, I think we're also a little nervous of, of young kids sitting down and, and rather than struggling with that five paragraph essay, just plugging in to a computer um, and it cranking out a, an essay. 
but I'm not, I'm not adverse to technology because I think technology is what's connected us today. Technology is what connected me to Waldorf University to create this master's program. And so I, I think that we just have to be really vigilant of, of how we use technology to advance our species, but also be very wary and not rest in our laurels when it's doing too much. And so I think we just have to be really vigilant. I'm always gonna stand on the side of teachers who desperately want kids to write what needs to be written. I'm always gonna protect uh, people's livelihoods when that is something that is a gift. And I'm, I've just been very fortunate to, to befriend so many gifted teachers and so many gifted writers that I don't wanna see being replaced. But I also think that we can use technology to further the educational field. Agreed. Um, certainly more to come on the topic. Dean, I'm gonna turn it to you for question five. Let's talk about July. Let's talk about the USDLA conference. You're gonna be there, right? And you're doing a bunch of stuff. I, I was looking at the agenda and everything. You're going to be a busy person, matter of fact. I think you're doing a workshop. Uh, you're also doing a book signing, of course, and a little coffee and cookie type chat. So kind of an informal chat. In particular, tell me about the workshop. What's going to happen there? What's that all about? What I'm so excited about is uh, two of my wonderful esteemed colleagues from Waldorf University, Dr. President Alsop and Dr. Braddix are gonna be joining me and we're gonna be doing a deep dive on how we took these ideas of, of social emotional learning and, and brought them to fruition and actually showcasing how we use uh, the Freedom Myers podcast and the videos that we created and the stories that were written and then read by the Freedom Myers. When, when the book first came out in 1999, all those years ago, every story in the book was anonymous. And when the feature film came out, we, we changed the names of my students. So now with a little bit of distance and hindsight being 2020, we can actually put faces and names to those storytellers. And, and we did. And it's amazing because my students are, are so honest about those stories when they were in middle school and high school and, and how difficult it was, how, how painful it was. And then we shine a light on it with every story and every video that we've created. I choke up. And so it's gonna be in a very emotional workshop because I, I think that our stories are gonna be holding up a mirror to other kids' stories. Uh, across the country and and what we were able to do in this kind of arc of our, our social emotional curriculum was not only look at the the freedom writers of of the then but really look at the freedom writers of the now with our latest project which is called Dear Freedom Writer and it was stories cultivated by by young students around the globe during the pandemic writing about stories of substance now of, of how the pandemic affected them or their mental health struggles or a, a deeper dive into depression and anxiety. And when these young people wrote to the Freedom Writers, it was the Freedom Writers who volunteered to say, this is the story that I have to write back to because I've lived it and I came out the other side. You know, I, I wanna be the light at the end of a very dark tunnel and, and say there's hope and there are people just like you who made it to the other side. And so I'm really excited to be able to share, share those anecdotes, 
to be, be able to have really courageous conversations about the reality of education now and, and be able to make it very conversational that not only are we going to be presenting, but, but how do we make it relevant to wherever the folks are coming from in their own community? And I think that's always been the most important thing in the, in the Freedom Writers journey is how is our story adapted and personalized in another community? Well, just to give you fair warning, I've been to a few USDLA conferences. The participants will be chatty. They will talk to you. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to have a, it's going to be an interesting time to watch the interactivity on this, on this really important subject. Pat? Thanks, Dean. Yeah, Aaron, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conference as well. Um, you know, we'll have folks from all around the country and we'll have even some, I believe, from uh, outside of the U.S. as well. Our last question, let's look into the future, right? We talked a little bit about AI, but let's leave that for another long conversation, which it would be, you know, it's been very challenging um, for educators because of the pandemic. There's increasing frustration with the educational system as a whole, being a little bit unprepared to do distance learning. What does education look like to you over the next five to 10 years? What changes? What do you, what do you see as some of the profound changes that are in front of us? Well, first and foremost, I'm excited that technology is, is opening up cities and, and communities, countries and continents. You know, that was one thing that we discovered when we worked on our new book project and the social emotional learning is we're not confined to four walls. We're not confined to a simple desk. And, and I, so that part of distance learning, I'm very excited about that that we can all be storytellers in, in our own communities. And I, I love that there is that ability to be able to speak to somebody in different time zones and with different languages. I also want us to be really vigilant about the, the human element because I think what a lot of people lost was the ability to, to hide behind a screen. You know, During the pandemic, we could turn off our camera and with, as a teacher, I was still teaching the entire pandemic. I realized I am coming between a child at home playing Fortnite or some kind of video game. So how do I make my, my lessons riveting and engaging enough that they'll put away that, um, that device, lean in, turn on their computer and interact. So I think what we need to do in, in distance learning is still have that interactive piece, still allow young people and, and people who are returning to school to be able to contribute. So there's much more of a dialogue and a communication. I think it's also really important that we learn from each other. Um, we learn best practices from, from other communities. And I think that we also have to embrace this idea that, that education is activism. So we have to be able to use our voice and, and stand up. I think with what I learned is sometimes I embraced the worst elements of man's inhumanity to showcase to my students. You know, we had homicides in a community and I looked at the Holocaust or other communities that had genocides, be it in Bosnia, Herzegovina, on the streets of Sarajevo or in Kigali, Rwanda, and, and realized that when the intelligentsia leaves or is attacked, um, like we saw in the killing fields in Cambodia. Oftentimes we see when there's there's problems, we 
we see the intelligentsia being suppressed or being targeted. And, and we will see that in Nazi Germany with Kristallnacht, or we'll see that in, um, in the killing fields, like I said, in Cambodia. So I started finding survivors from these horrific genocides to become classroom teachers beside me. Holocaust survivors, Rwandan genocide survivors, Cambodian genocide survivors. The, the young woman who wrote the foreword to our book was from Sarajevo, Zlata Filipovich. And we started realizing that when, when there's a shift in a community, educators have to shout to the rafters. And I, I wanna encourage educators to do that now because I've seen a political shift in our own country recently with the banning of books again. You know, my book is always on the banned book list. And I've learned that the greatest way to get kids to, to read a book is to try to burn it, ban it, or censor it. So, you know, we, we, we've done that before when our book has been challenged. But, you know, I'm, I'm concerned in 2023 that we are going backwards. And, and certain communities are, are making it very elitist and exclusionary when education should be inclusive. And we should be allowing people of all backgrounds and all practices to be able to read, to communicate, to be inclusive, to fight against anti-Semitism or racism or any kind of um, homophobia. So I think that's where education is really important that we as educators have to use our voice and empower those that we teach to also realize that they have a voice and, and they too can stand up so that we don't see what's happened on other people's soil happening right here in America. Good point, valid points all across the board. Hope, another session done. Amazing, wow, Erin, I tell you, you know, when we found out that you were coming to the conference, I was like, this is her, because I'm such well, a fan. I love the work you do. Uh, you just really are inspirational. And we are going to have so much fun at this conference. So all of our viewers and listeners, go to usdla.org and sign up to come to this conference where you'll meet amazing Erin and Dean and Pat and me and so many other wonderful people who are just really trying to make the world a better place. So thank you all for being on this July episode of the Distance Learning Roundtable. I'm Hope Katz-Gibbs, proud producer of the show, and we will see you all next month. Take good care. Bye.